Happy New Year. Ish, yeah. Um, so you're the real Christians. Like most people on December 27th, the Sunday after Christmas, they go to sleep and they, they do not show up to church. So I just want to let you all know, if Jesus comes back, you're all going to heaven. It's, it's, a, it's official. Can't say anything positive about the rest. Completely unrelated to my sermon. Um, last night, I polled what I call a Lauren Souls. Is Lauren in the room here? Uh, oh, hey, Lauren. Many years ago, Lauren almost blew her whole face off um, with, through an oven. You remember that, Lauren? <laughs> yeah. I think she opened up an oven door, and then flames came out and basically incinerated her, and you had to put that glossy stuff all over your face for like six years, something like that. And uh, so last night, we were lighting a fire, and um, it's the second time we've ever used this fireplace. And so a couple nights ago, we turned the gas on, and barely any gas was coming out. I had the flame underneath it, and like it took a minute for the flame to even light, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is, this is sad. All right, um, got to fix the fireplace now. So it finally lit, and I thought, oh, great. So last night, I went to start a fire, and, and you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to turn the gas up the whole way, and, um, and because nothing comes out. So I put it up the whole way, go across the room, I get my, my lighter and stick it in there, and then this flame, whoosh, I mean... So my beard is about a half an inch shorter now than it was last night. <laughs> I'm missing a significant arm hair. And, uh, and then I, I actually, I didn't even think to look at my eyebrows until this morning. I think they're fine. But if I'm missing any kind of weird hair anywhere on my face or my arms, please let me know. Yeah, that's, uh, I call it a Lauren Soul. So Lauren is our, one of our directors. Um, she's our youth director. Her and Matt, Matt did communion this morning. So many years ago, where did you lose, Lauren? Like half of your hair? Yeah, she had no eyebrows. That was sweet. They grew back, though. That's great. Congratulations on that. <laughs> my wife, she, she saw it, and she was like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? And then she started laughing hysterically. <laughs> She's, like, going up to my face and picking out my beard. She's like, that thing's got to come off. And anyways, it was, it was a moment. Welcome to Village Church. Good morning. Um, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here, if you're new with us. And uh, I want to ask you, would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. And uh, we're actually going to look at a passage of Scripture that happens 40 days after Jesus was born. And this is actually a part of the birth narratives, a part of the Christmas story, if you will, that most people are not really familiar with. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser. Um, this morning, I really just want to share one thing with you, and it's one resolution that if you are going to remotely with success follow Jesus in 2016, I really believe that you're going to need to make, especially this year. This is probably a resolution um, that has not been as pressing in years past as it is now. So I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. You're just going to have to wait. Um, but there are some things happening culturally that I think if we're not prepared to really make this resolution deep down in our souls, I'm not sure you're going to be able to make it with strength through 2016 as a follower of Jesus. So here's what I want to, I want to do. I want to start reading through Luke chapter 2. I'm going to explain a few things as we go, and then we're going to get to the actual um, part of the text where I want to land for a little bit longer. So Luke chapter 2, verse 22. So Mary, again, she just had Jesus and shepherds and all that good stuff. And, and when the time came for their purification, there would be Jesus and Mary. And so part of the process of the law, Old Testament Jewish law, is that when a woman gave birth, she would have 40 days um, of what we'll call uncleanness where she would have to wait and then at the 40th day she would show up to the temple and then she would need to be ceremonially purified. Are you glad we're not under the law? Say amen. Amen. According to the law of Moses, so we're 40 days after the birth of Jesus, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord 
as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, meaning set apart. And this is just part of the law and rhythm of what God wanted parents to do. So this is kind of like dedication. Uh, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, the law made stipulation that if you had a lamb, you had to give that. But for poor people, they could give this offering. So we see right off the bat, that Luke is trying to communicate that Mary and Joseph obey the law and they're poor. So Jesus was not born into a rich family. And then it goes on in verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was, say it with me, Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the word consolation means comfort or help. And here's what he's waiting for. The people of Israel, God's people, are oppressed. They are sad. They are under Roman tyranny. They are frustrated. They've been waiting for a Messiah, the comforter, the consolation of Israel for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so Simeon is a man who loves the Lord and loves the law of the Lord, and he is waiting with anticipation. Now here it goes on and says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and had, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then it goes on. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up in his arms, took him up in his arms, and blessed God, and he said, now, before we read this, we need to understand that what is happening for this old man is the fulfillment of all of his hopes and dreams that he has been waiting for. And I, I don't know how it happened, but here's what we know that we know. That this man was told by the Holy Spirit, Simeon, you will not die until you see the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah. And again, this isn't the point in the sermon, but I think there's just a little like point here. Um, why did Simeon have absolute confidence, even going into his old age, that God would make good on his promise? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I want you to see this just right now. We have a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit, and when a believer in Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He is our comforter. He is um, our convictor. He is our, the one who gives us assurance. And the Holy Spirit is in you, and you are doubting. A, a prayer for Christians is, fill me with your spirit, because I'm struggling right now, and the Holy Spirit enters into these moments and gives us this assurance, and the Holy Spirit landed on Simeon in a powerful way, in a very powerful way that made it so that even into his old age, even after hundreds of years of God's people waiting an entire lifetime, this man filled with the Holy Spirit is waiting with expectancy for the, for the fulfillment of promise. And then here's what he says. He picks Jesus up, and, and I want you to get this part because he's going to speak publicly, okay? Because there's going to be a public part to what he says and then a private part where he takes Mary aside and speaks individually to her. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. And his mother and his father marveled at what was said about him. And just a little just break here for a moment. Is Jesus the savior of only the Jews? The answer is no. Jesus 
is the Messiah, the Savior for every human being who is alive. And so during the Christmas season, there's all this Jewish stuff that happens, especially in the birth narratives. And some people may think that that's just the Jewish God or the Jewish Messiah. And one of the things that Simeon just makes overwhelmingly clear is that Jesus is the God of every person, of every tribe, of every language and every culture. He's not just the Jewish God in this place at this time or for some kind of Judeo-Christian people, but it does not matter who you are, Gentile or Jew, Jesus is the Messiah for everybody. And so publicly, these things are being stated. And this, though, is not probably the most surprising part. Mary kind of knew all this. Like this is all, we'll call it knowledge that she had. But there's something I want you to get, right? If you take all the birth narratives, all the things that are said to Mary about Jesus, you know what was never told to her until right now? Your son is going to be killed. If you just kind of stop and you just read through all the narratives, he's going to be a savior, he's going to do this, he's going to do that, he's going to do this, right? And, and technically, maybe you should be able to look at the Old Testament prophecies and put it all together, but, but let's be honest, most of the Jews at this time understood that when the savior came, he was not going to be killed, but he was going to reign as a king, right? So this idea of Jesus being the Messiah, the savior, the Lord's Christ being executed, I want you to get, by and large, is a foreign concept to them. For us, it's common because we look back on the cross. But they're looking forward. And so, so far, Mary, you're going to give birth to God. He's going to be everlasting God. He's going to be a mighty God, an everlasting father, a wonderful counselor. He's going to be the king. He's going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to rule. And, and so as far as we know, this is what Mary knows and expects. Forty days after Jesus is born, Simeon drops a bomb on Mary that I think changes her life. And we're gonna learn three particular things about Jesus. And I think as we understand these things, they're gonna put into a new light 2016 for us who follow Jesus. This child will divide a, and you fill in the blank, a room, a family, a dinner table, a city, a nation, a world, just try this. Go out with some people that you don't know very well and say, let's talk about Jesus. You know what's going to happen? Okay, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? Um, try it. Try going into any group of people that you know really well. How, how did it go for y'all when you went on Christmas Eve dinner or a Christmas Day dinner, whatever your family does? Did anybody sit down and say, let's, let's just talk through the birth narrative and let's talk about how Jesus is the Messiah of everybody. Try that with your non-Christian family and see how that goes, right? There are few things as awkward as Jesus. I mean, you can just like agree with me on this one. When you get a Christian in the room and a non-Christian in the room, right, there is this weirdness that comes around the name of Jesus. And I want you to just, I want you to just put this in your brain. It's only going to get weirder. It's only going to get weirder. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, so here's what happens. He, he holds Jesus up. He has this public statement, and then he steps aside. He looks at Mary, and it's, I, I almost imagine they have a private conversation. He says, Mary, we just need to have a conversation here because I need to tell you some things that I don't know if you know them, but this is, this is going to have to filter the way you raise your son. He says this, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and for the rising of many in Israel. Number one, Mary, you need to get that this child is chosen by God. He is the Lord's anointed one, chosen by God, and sent here for a purpose in this first coming. And this first coming, he is appointed to be a dividing line between everybody. You start with God's people, and you can take the nation and you can divide it in half. And this child will be either for the fall, meaning that he will be their condemnation, or he will be for their rising, meaning they will find salvation in him. But Mary, here's what you need to understand 
this child will divide a room. And so Jesus, I think, you can only surmise what Mary taught him as he grew up, but Jesus had a very clear self-identity that he was not here to make everybody like him, okay? And I want to read to you Matthew chapter 10, and it's up on the screen here, verses 34 and 36. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now, is that counter Christmas, by the way? Isn't he the prince of peace? Wait, I thought he came to bring peace. The Bible's contradictory. Throw it out. It's relevant. No. Do not think that I have come to bring peace in the earth. He's talking about his first advent, his first coming. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. Try reading that to your non-Christian friends, right? (laughs) I'm here to bring a sword, right? It doesn't quite work, but Jesus understands that a prophecy was made over him by Simeon, a promise from God who is filled with the Holy Spirit, Simeon, and looked at Jesus and said, look, you are gonna divide families. Families are gonna be at odds with each other because of you. The mother and, and the father who loved each other and loved their kids, they will reject each other and reject their children all because of how polarizing you are. Here's what he says. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his, her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Let me just ask you a question. Does Jesus want you to have enemies in your household? No. Will Jesus divide a household, though? You better believe it. Jesus is not sitting here saying, yay, you guys are all upset with each other. I'm so excited, right? That's not the point of what he's saying. The point of what he's saying is that sin is so strong inside of us that sin makes us push against all things that are good. Jesus is perfectly good and right. Sin inside of us necessarily rejects Jesus. Jesus is a threat to sin inside of us. When Jesus enters into a life, he gets rid of sin. He starts dismantling it and taking it apart and ripping it to shreds and getting rid of it and forming goodness and righteousness in somebody. And let me tell you, the sinful part of mankind rejects Jesus. And Jesus, and, and Jesus understands, look, I'm going to walk into a room and there are going to be people who want me and there are going to be people who don't. And I'm going to be so polarized into husbands and wives, one who comes to faith in me and one who doesn't, will be at odds with each other because this is how polarizing Jesus is. Side application. You're dating somebody and they're not a Christian, dump them. You're a, not a Christian and you're dating somebody that is a Christian, dump them. Okay? It will not go well for you because here's what will happen in that relationship. The one who is filled with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, will be necessarily transformed every day for the rest of their lives, and they will become more passionate about Jesus than they are about you. Their greatest desire will be to to please Jesus and not you, and they will drive you nuts. Mark my words. We watch it all the time, and it is very frustrating. So Jesus comes in, and he says, look, I have come to not... Not on purpose necessarily, but this is what's going to happen. And here, you're going to be tested. Who do you love more? The God who made you, or your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter who's temporary? This is one of the most gut-wrenching things about Jesus. And so I think most people, when they read about Jesus, um, the more they read about him, the more repelled by him they're going to be. You've got to understand that that's natural because that's a part of sin in, inside of us. So I think in 2016, uh, you're just going to need to come to grips with this fact. Jesus is going to become less and less popular. So you know how, like, back in the day, you could go to a bunch of people and say, tell me about Jesus. Who is he? Oh, he's a good man. He's a prophet. He's sent by God. That's not being said anymore by the masses. Jesus has a massive PR problem, and the masses who were numb to him are now becoming opposed to him. 
And so here's what you need to get. When you go into 2016 and you identify with Jesus, you're not identifying any longer with somebody who has, a, has, who has good PR. You're identifying with somebody who has bad PR. You're identifying with somebody who to follow Jesus increasingly means you're a bigot, number one, and here's what people need to do to be able to take the bigot label off you. They have to figure out where you stand on abortion, same-sex marriage, and a number of other issues like gender and transgendered issues. And then when they can figure out where you stand on that, then the label of bigot will begin to be taken off of you. And this is what I want you to start understanding, that by and large, in pop culture, more and more and more, Jesus' PR is going down, and the name Christian is not as esteemed a term as it was in the past. And so you just need to expect this. When you go into 2016, uh, people are not going to be thinking as highly about Jesus as they used to. I mean, gone are the days when the majority of non-Christians say that he's good. And I, I find more and more people, more and more, that the people who have a high view of him have never read his words. And so when you start reading what Jesus says, he is one of the most polarizing figures on the planet. So polarizing. And Jesus is getting harder and harder and harder to follow, at least in this context. For people all over the world, though, let's be honest, this is their daily life. Like, we're just kind of beginning, like, in small, small ways, catching up to what is going on all over the world. Number two, <clears throat> Simeon looks at Mary. He says, this child will be opposed to death. He says, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. If I'm Mary and I'm listening, I'm gonna get caught up on the word also. What do you mean also? And here is what Simeon is communicating that Mary absolutely understood. And I think this is the first time that Mary heard this information. Mary, he is going to be killed. And what happens to him physically is gonna happen to you emotionally. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what Mary felt like when she heard this, but I have to imagine that as Jesus grew up, this filtered the way she parented him. Jesus in Matthew 20 says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and catch this, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus clearly understood the purpose of his birth and life was death. Jesus was not vague on why he was on planet Earth. He didn't come just to be a good moral teacher. That wasn't the point. The point was, I came to die. And in my living, I will live perfectly and morally, and that's a side benefit of what's happening. But primarily, I came to die. Uh, so I want to share with you something that I call the mama bear instinct. Before I tell you about the mama bear instinct, I've got to tell you about the mom instinct. Okay? So the mom instinct, I made up these words. Not mama bear instinct, but mom instinct I made up. So the mom instinct which every mother in this room should understand. Um, I wrote it down so I could just read it to you. It's the ability of moms to subconsciously take in mass quantities of nonverbal and non-quantifiable experiences that manifest as a hunch. <laughs> Does that make sense, right? So here's how the mom's think manifests. Hmm, I have a hunch. And I've learned that when a mom has a hunch, I listen to the hunch, okay? Because the mom 
is taking in massive amounts of uh, non-quantifiable right, um, experiences, putting them together through the grid of this mommy brain, which is an amazing thing that I can't relate to, okay? And then the output is a hunch, okay? And I've learned that moms are made uniquely by God to do this, and that when moms have a hunch, I say, okay. So when my wife says, that dude's creepy, I go, okay, most likely that's dude, that dude is creepy, okay? Um, don't do that. Okay, I won't go do that. That's, you're smart. I get that. But then there's what I call the mama bear instinct, which can be really good and really bad. Uh, and this is the instinct to protect your children. I want you to catch, I'm using my terminology very careful here, uh, to protect their children from pain, in all circumstances. So as I, as I watch moms, it's like, uh, don't get hurt, don't get hurt, don't get hurt, ah! you know, like, like no pain, emotional pain. This is like where helicopter parenting comes from. It's not dad, it's moms, right? Let's just be straight here, okay? And, and so the mom's like, no, 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 like you need to get, everybody gets a trophy, nobody gets hurt, everybody gets this, nobody gets hurt, right? There's this, right? Dads, we're a little bit different. Our dad's instinct is to protect kids from harm, loosely defined. <laughs> It's just different, right? So, like, I've joked about this many times with you in the past. Like, my kid could be like, he's about to jump off a bridge. And I'm like, let's see what happens. Mom's like, no, 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 right? It's just, we, we approach things very differently. And this seems to be a global experience, okay? But I want you to catch this. The reason this is important is because I've yet to meet a mom who likes when their children experience pain. Like, dad's like, a little pain will be good for him. You know, like, mom's like, mm, no, not so much, right? So I want you to put yourself through the mama bear instinct of Mary, and everything inside of her is to protect her son emotionally, spiritually, physically from all pain. Like this is a part of the way God has made her. And Simeon looks at her and he says, he's gonna be executed. And so now, Mary has to change the way that she parents Jesus. Her objective is not to protect Jesus from pain, but to prepare him for execution. Like that's different. How many of you moms are preparing your children, raising them with that purpose? I'm going to prepare you to die publicly and to die well for the glory of God. This was not an option, but the necessary conclusion and culmination of Jesus' life. And I think this just grinded on every part of Mary's mom instinct and her mama bear instinct. And I think, because you can see just in the way that Jesus talks about himself and his identity, even at the beginning of his ministry, that Jesus had a very clear identity why he was born, why he came to earth. And I am convinced, I cannot imagine any good mother not telling their child about the prophecies said about them all growing up and letting that filter their purpose in life. Number three, this child will expose every man, woman, children, child. So then Simeon finally says, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is a double-sided double, double -sided coin here, okay? So number one, uh, the first side of the coin is simply this. The closer you get to Jesus, the more your heart is truly revealed. Um, so you put Jesus uh, on, on the table at Christmas, right? And what people do with him immediately tells you what is going on inside of their hearts. And so just by mere proximity to Jesus, the name, the idea, the concept, or the person, we start to learn very quickly where somebody is at. And so when people start talking about Jesus, what you do and what happens inside of you and what you say tells me so much what I need to know about your relationship with Jesus. But here's what we know. Jesus doesn't just divide a room. He exposes the hearts of everybody in the room. And, and so here's my question. Do you love Jesus? Well, 
what happens when people bring him up? Are you afraid to bring him up? I mean, this tells us so much of what we need to know. And so I want to give you the next example in this passage that comes up. And this is from a woman named Anna. Now, you don't know this, but Anna is in the temple complex watching this whole conversation happen with Mary, Joseph, and Simeon. And so she watches this. And here's the story of Anna. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, meaning she was old. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So basically decades and decades and decades and decades as a widow. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. Why? Same as Simeon. She believed to the core of her being that God would fulfill his promise. She believed that the Holy Spirit uh, when it, the Holy Spirit said to her, the Messiah is gonna come. She believed God's word, that the promises, um, even though they're 700 years late, would absolutely, totally be fulfilled. In verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And I love this. Jesus, she just finds out he's the Messiah, and she is so pumped. She starts telling everybody about Jesus and saying, this is the kid, this is it, this is it. And, and, and Anna is a great illustration when you understand and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, what do you do with this information? Because people who love Jesus take this information and they are pumped about it. Please give me an amen on that one, right? And so we get to this next year, and I want to be more like an Anna. That's what I want to be. I want to be somebody who, as I realize more and more the weight of who Jesus is, what he has come to do, what he has saved me from, and that his salvation is not just for us good Christian people, but for all people of all places and all times and all cultures and all places, despite what generation, despite your habits and traditions, Jesus wants to invade every family, every nation, every city, and every human, and to transform every person into the image of Jesus Christ. Like, when I get that, I want to be like her and get pumped and start talking about it. But there's another side of this, because Jesus doesn't just expose by proximity. Jesus exposes personally. I want to read you Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God in this context is Jesus. And the reason is Jesus is because the Word of God is conscious and doing things. Um, the Word of God is discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, Jesus, to whom we must give an account. And so Simeon looks at Mary and says, number one, Mary, here's what I want you to get. This child will divide every family and every room and every nation. This child will be killed and it will crush you. And I want you to get this, just this child um, will expose everybody for who we really are. How many of you want to hear this said about your son? <sighs> and so we get to the end of this time together, we get to the end of the sermon, I have one New Year's resolution for you that I want to share with you and encourage you with. Resolve to be unashamed of Jesus, despite what my coworkers think of me, what my husband or wife think of me, what my parents think of me, what my children think of me, what my non-Christian friends think, about, think of me. It doesn't mean I need to be crazy weird, although people may think you're weird if you like Jesus at all. It doesn't mean you need to be like insane. <laughs> Please give me an amen on that one but to be unashamed. Let's say it in the inverse. 
I want to be proud of Jesus everywhere I go, even if that means people think I'm weird. I don't want to be afraid to put up a nativity set in my front yard. I don't want to be afraid to talk about Jesus on Facebook. I don't want to be afraid to share what I'm learning in my relationship with God or what I'm learning in the Bible with people who don't love Jesus. If they love me, they'll be interested in the things I'm interested in anyways. What I do want to learn is how to be savvy, how to be smart, how, to, how, to, how not to be necessarily offensive, <laughs> right? But at the end of the day, here's what I want. I want to be unashamed of Jesus despite whatever circumstances come to me. The reason you have to resolve this is because 20 years this might have been easier, five years this might have been easier, two years this might have been easier. But the cultural tide is turning in some weird ways and we don't know where it's gonna end. It might shift back in a year or two. Culturally speaking, we have no idea. But here's what I can tell you. Likely, if the trajectory stays the same, this is gonna get harder and harder. But I have good news for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And in the Great Commission, he says, oh, by the way, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them, etc." Oh, by the way, I am with you wherever you go. I love this, the most common command in scripture, do not be afraid. Don't. So you could articulate this in whatever way you need to. It could be do not be unashamed of Jesus despite. It could be um, resolved to be proud of Jesus despite. It could be resolved. I will not be afraid of what other people think of me despite. It could be resolved to talk to as many people as I can about Jesus despite. I mean, I don't know how you rephrase this for your own self, but at the end of the day, to be unashamed of Jesus despite. And so we're gonna go into 2016. Isn't that weird, it's 2016? Like I remember 1985, like that to me is, right? So it's gonna be 2016, there's no flying cars. Um, I wish there were, um, but we have iPhones and so that's great. Um, can I get an amen for my Android users? <laughs> Complete silence. <laughs> Just think about it this way, without the, Android or the iPhone there would be no Android, I love you, okay. Um, <laughs> So what I want to do is I want to close. I want to pray. I want to invite the band to come up front. We're going to close with one song. And uh, as we go into this new year, um, it is an absolute privilege to be your pastor and shepherd. And we are going to lift high the name of Jesus. We're going to try to love you the best we can. But we are going to be on mission. And we want to make disciples of everybody that we can so that they can go grow and overcome. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, It is so good to be your children. It's so good to be saved. It's so good to have your Holy Spirit who is our comforter. It is so good to be on this side of history, to not be under the law, to be able to see the last 2,000 years of history, to see um, some generations of Christians live under persecution, some live under freedom, even right now, God, in this world. Um, Christians are living in all different circumstances, and what we see is that because your Holy Spirit is in us, we can endure anything, even the sword. We can do it with joy, and with expectancy that you are a God who keeps his promise every time. I want to just say thank you for the faith of Anna and the faith of Simeon, that even into their old age, even into the very last years and weeks of their life, they believed in the promise despite the fact that it had not been fulfilled until they were very old. And God, may we just be inspired by them that you are a God who keeps his promises, that you are with us always. You protect us, even if it means we die we are protected in Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, we win. 
And so, Lord, I pray for Village Church that you would give us a spirit of courage and of boldness, that shame and fear around the name of Jesus just would not be found inside of us. And when they are, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd come to you, we would give that fear to you, and we would let you transform into boldness and courage. And so, God, we love you and we thank you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.